Back when I was younger, a long, long, long time ago, I played a lot of sports, football basically. I remember when I first started playing in junior high, actually, it's the first time I was in organized football, and I wanted to be a running back because I wanted to score touchdowns. I wanted the girls to look at me and go, wow, that guy is a great guy. He can do that. He can avoid everyone. And I remember in a, in, a, in a scrimmage game, the very first game I ever played, we were playing Brookhurst Junior High School. I was at Crescent Junior High School. Big deal back then for me. I was in eighth grade, and I scored a touchdown. And I was so happy, I started running around the end zone in circles. And when I came back to the sideline, the coach pulled me aside and he said, Jim, you need to act like it's not the first time you've done that. (laughs) And if you do it again, it'll be the last time you see the field. Well, I look at, I learned from that, because I wanted to keep playing for one thing, but I understood what he meant. It was a team effort, and I was pointing at myself. We look at sports today, we look at the NFL especially. I hardly ever even watch the NFL anymore, because of the pride and the self-aggrandizement that just about everybody on the field shows, even when they do something that they're getting paid to do. The guy makes a a good block, and he shows off. There's a, a guy in the Hall of Fame, great football player, went into the Hall of Fame, played for a lot of different teams, His name was Terrell Owens. He was a wide receiver. Great athlete. But boy, was he full of himself. I remember hearing him on the sideline in a a video one time after he scored a touchdown and he was strutting around and he looked at the camera and he goes, I love me some me. Look at me. I love myself. We see that all over today. We see that on TV. We see it in sports. We see it in music. We see it all across the United States, everywhere we look. We see it in politics. But Scripture tells us something about that. About that way of acting. There's certain things that God hates and He warns us against. Proverbs 6 tells us there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him. Number one on that list 
is haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that, that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the, uh, among the brothers. brothers. But the very first thing he mentions is haughty eyes. Underline that. In Proverbs 16, it says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Turns out that pride and self-centeredness and egotism is one of, if not the main thing that brought sin into the world. Let's go back to Genesis 3. We're in the book of Genesis. It wasn't that long ago. Let's go back to Genesis 3. And you remember what happened there when the serpent went to Eve and said, you will not die if you eat this fruit. Here's the thing. God knows that once you eat of it, you'll be like Him. You'll know. You'll know good from evil for yourself. Now the word know there, just a little bit of of theology, I guess. The word know there could better be translated determine. What Adam and Eve were trying to do, what the serpent was trying to get them to do, was to sin, and he appealed to their pride. God knows when you eat this fruit, you will be like God, being able to determine for yourself what is right and what is wrong. Our desires and our motives are basically the same as way, way back then. We, we do things for the wrong reasons. We, our motives are messed up. We think, what, how will this benefit me? How will I be seen in a good light? Solomon was right. There's nothing new under the sun. It hasn't changed in all these years, all these eons. It's all vanity. So with self-pride and autonomy, because that's what we want, we want to be the God, we want to call the shots, we want complete autonomy, With that being the backdrop, let's go to today's message because it has that written all over it. Please stand while we read from God's Word. I'm in Genesis 11. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. This is a story you've all heard before, the Tower of Babel. And there, somebody took a picture of it, so you know what it it looked like. 
Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Bitumen is like asphalt. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing they propose to do now will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them and there, from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. May God bless the reading of his word. So some points of interest. First, Moses writes, earth had one language, all the same words. You know, in the United States, we all speak English for the most part. But we don't necessarily have all the same words. You could use a word for something here in California and then go to Mississippi and they'll say the same, have the same idea, but a different word. We may not understand what they're saying. But Moses tells us that wasn't even an issue. There were no dialects. Everyone spoke the same language. They used the same words so everyone could understand what the other person was saying. You know, man is the only creature that has the gift of speech. Out of all the animals, out of all the creatures, the bugs, the birds, Man is the only one that's able to communicate through speech. And God allowed that for our good. But yet we often misuse it. Being made in the image of God, man is also the only creature on the earth who worships. No other creature worships. Man does. And before you say, well, I know a lot of people don't worship. Everyone worships. We have that worship gene in us being made in the image of God. It's a question of who or what we worship. But everyone, every man, woman, and child worships something. That's shown throughout the world. Just look at 
all the uh, all the tribes, all the past uh, countries. Where do you think idolatry came from? There's a desire, a need to worship in the core of every human being. So that being the case, that speech is something that only people have, and worship is something that only people have, it stands to reason that speech and worship would go hand in hand. So when Moses writes in verse 1 here that the whole earth had one language and the same words, what he's doing is he's holding up for all to see God's goodness. Look what he's given us, our Creator. God gave us speech so that we can worship Him, but He also gave it to us so that the sacred bond of society among men and women would be retained, so that we can communicate with each other. Language was indeed created, as we say here at Bethany, for the glory of God and for the good of His people. But while God provided the gift of speech for His glory and our good, our speech often reveals things in our hearts that dishonor Him and harm us. The New Testament, book of Luke, when our hearts are filled with godly things, our speech will reflect that. The good person out of the good treasure of the heart produces good. But when our hearts are filled with pride and evil, our speech will reflect that also. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. And from what we see in today's passage regarding the Tower of Babel, the latter part of this, that our hearts were filled with evil and their speech reflected that, the latter part is true for our settlers, the people who settled in Shinar. Their hearts were full of pride, self-importance, self-aggrandizement. And how God dealt with that is what we're going to be talking about today. Let me read verse 2 of this again. And the people migrated from the east. They found a plain in the land of Shinar 
and settled there. Now the area of Shinar, it's in modern day Iraq, around where it is the area of that Babylon was to be built after this time. And some scholars see that their settling here was the great sin that they committed. Because God had told them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And what they did was, as they migrated, being fruitful, multiplying, as they moved around, they were filling the earth. But now they decided to settle down for some reason. I don't think that that's the main issue here. Although it could be part of it. Verse 3 says, And they said to one another, I'm going to stop there. They settle in this land and they say something to one another. This endeavor that they're about to talk about, that Moses is writing about here, was not a unilateral decision. This was not from a leader saying, we're going we're to settle there and you guys are going to start building stuff. Said, scripture says they said to one another, It was a joint effort. They were all on board. You know, unanimity, I always have a hard time with that word. Unanimity, being unanimous, okay, that's it. Being unanimous is not always a positive thing. Sometimes it can be a negative thing. If we seek God and His guidance in a decision as a group, and we furtively pray and seek Him and want to know what His will is, and we get an answer that we all agree on, chances are that's a good thing. But just because a group of people get together and decide they're going to do something doesn't make it right even though they all agree. And this act, this this grouping together and agreeing, this is what we're going to do, it didn't bode well for them. And then later in verse 3, it says, And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. This task that they're about ready to undertake in Shinar, it's not going to be an easy one. But their pride is starting to come out on us. We're starting to see a little bit more of it. It's not going to be an easy task. What they were doing was planning for something that would be for the long term. They said, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. 
normally in the Middle East, back in history, most structures were just, they would make bricks, but they would sunbake them. They would bake them in the sun. These guys are saying, no, we want something that's going to last. We want something that's going to be around for a long, long time. So we're going to take those bricks, we're going to make them, and then we're going to burn them so that we don't end up with bricks, but we end up with stone. The difficulty and the labor intensiveness of what they were undertaking or about to undertake indicates their determination to make a name for themselves that will last through the centuries and into the future. Today we see this type of determination in a positive light. A lot of us do. We like it when we hear that people pulled themselves up by their bootstraps. We like stories about self-made men, self-made women. We love it when old blue eyes saying, I did it my way. It's a big deal to us, especially in America. We're a self-made country helped by God, formed by God, but we see ourselves a lot of times as a self-made country. And for the Shinar settlers, their real motive, their real sin was not that they settled somewhere, but it was their unquenchable thirst for fame, for renown. Verse 4, And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. I need a drink here. Let's make a name for ourselves. Let's make a city with these stones, a city that will last for eons. Let's build a tower that reaches up to the heavens. We're in this big, wide plain here. It's flat. If we build this tower, people will be able to see us from miles around. We'll build a name for ourselves. We'll be important. People will fear us. We'll be the the ones everyone looks up to. And they said, let's build this lest we be dispersed. Now, that term, lest we be dispersed, does not necessarily mean if we don't build it, we're going to be dispersed. So we better build it. Lest we be dispersed in the context 
of what they're saying means we realize, and I'm paraphrasing obviously here, but what it, what, what it means in the context is we're, we're going to keep multiplying. We're going to keep growing. At some point, this city won't be able to hold us. There will be people that will have to disperse, have to leave. If this lasts as long as we, we want it to, we'll die at some point. So that's a matter of dispersion. We're not building it so we don't be dispersed. We're building it so that when the time comes that we have to disperse because of our greatness, our legacy will live on and on and on to the future generations that will see this tower and say, wow, those people were something else. It's a perpetual infatuation with the world. That's what was driving them. They were seeking immortality on the earth. Something people have done forever. People do today and people will continue to do in the future. They were seeking immortality on earth in a place where everything is fading and everything is transient. All the time neglecting the one who is everlasting. They were their own gods. They were the ones that were going to make the rules. They were the ones that knew, that determined good from evil. All while neglecting the one who is perfect, who is everlasting, who is good, who is righteous, who is powerful. John Calvin, in his... Uh, John Calvin, in his um, prodigious commentary, wrote this regarding these people. To erect a citadel was not in itself so great a crime, but to raise an eternal monument to themselves, which might endure throughout all the ages, was proof of headstrong pride joined with contempt of God. The fact that they were building this stuff wasn't the main issue. The fact that they were doing it to build an eternal monument to themselves, that was the issue. So where did that leave them? God goes down says, hey, let's go down there and check things out. And he does. He meets their egocentricity by dismantling it. He does it in a number of different ways. He dismantles their plans relationally, first of all. Relationships are important to us. 
And what's a key ingredient of a relationship? It's the ability to communicate. If you have someone that you're building a relationship with, trying to build a but you can't talk, you don't understand each other, how are you going to do that? Here we've got all these folks speaking the same language. Relationships are huge there. God dismantles their egotism relationally. He does this in verses 6 and 7. And the Lord said, they are one people and they have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. Let's fix this from a relational standpoint. Let's make it impossible for them to relate to each other. Let's confuse their language so they can't speak and they won't understand each other. How else does he do it? He dismantles their plans socially. Verse 8, So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth. He dismantled their plans socially by creating a situation in which they could not only not relate to each other, but in order to survive, needed to disperse from each other. He broke up their social network, at least reduced it, by dispersing them. How else did he do it? He did it. He dismantled their plans procedurally. So the Lord dispersed them from there, from the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. They quit building the city. It was half built. The tower was basically incomplete. It went part of the way up, but then stopped. The procedure of building, he dismantled. Where they ended up leaving the tower and the city basically in ruins. Unfinished. And then he dismantles their plans reputably. Verse 9, therefore, because they were dispersed, therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the whole earth. What's the one thing they were looking for? Renown. They were looking for someone to pat them on the back, 
They were looking for greatness. They were looking for renown. Let's make a renown. Let's make a name for ourselves, they said. Well, you know what? They did make a name for themselves. It's just not the name they wanted. They wanted the name greatness. They wanted the name power. They wanted the name strength. God gave them a name, though. Babel. Confusion. Disconnect. Things left unfinished. Dispersion. Muteness. They got what they wanted, just not what they wanted. But in the midst of all this, God shows His mercy and His grace. God shows His mercy and His grace in the midst of this and going forward even into today. Even though the consequences of their sin of pride lives on today in that there are numerous languages throughout the world, God's goodness is demonstrated. His goodness is demonstrated in that the nations hold mutual communication amongst themselves. They're able to communicate amongst themselves. Men were dispersed throughout the world because of their languages. But let's fast forward thousands and thousands of years later. There's something else that happened in first century that had to do with languages. It's called Pentecost. God used languages to disperse them out. And during Pentecost... He used languages to bring them back together under one God, Jesus Christ. Mankind was dispersed and brought back in Christ through the same medium they were dispersed. And today, we still have all these languages. And not all of them have the gospel yet. There's work that still needs to be done. But at one point, there will be a, an understandable language. Calvin wrote this also. It has come to pass that they who before were miserably divided have coalesced in the unity of the faith. In this sense, Isaiah says that the language of Canaan 
should be common to all under the reign of Christ in Isaiah 19.18. Because although their language may differ in sound, they all speak the same thing while they cry, Abba, Father. The gospel is the great language. The gospel is what brings people together. The gospel is what glues those of us who have different languages and different cultures and different sizes and different skin tones and different everything, different food. The gospel is what brings us from being dispersed to being one. The gospel of Jesus Christ. So what do we see in all this? The message of this passage is, is, I guess, simple. It's not simple to do, but simple to understand. We need to guard against pride. We need to guard against self-aggrandizement. Pride does, in fact, come before a fall. These people sought a name for themselves, and they received one. Not great, but disgrace. They received not the name great, but the name disgrace. They received the name not united instead of united. They received the name infamous instead of famous. We need to seek first the righteousness of the Lord and all that will be given to us. All the things that our heart desires, if they're in line with His will. I don't know how we do that, frankly. I don't know how we do things here at the church. Ministries. And they end up being for ourselves as opposed to for God. It's, it's a danger. It's a danger that the church has. It's a danger that all of us as Christians, and especially those of us who are in ministries and leading ministries, it's a danger we have to be careful of. Are we doing this for the right reason? Am I doing this so God is glorified? Or am I doing this because it makes me look cool and look good? I would guess that at least some of the time, the latter part is what possibly drives us. Keep in prayer. Keep meditating on the Word. 
The longer you stay out of this, the longer you stay off your knees, the more likely that will seep into your being. Even though you're here five, six, even seven days a week doing stuff for the church. Hold on to that ministry loosely and check yourself over and over and over and over again. Look at it. Am I doing this for God? And if you're not, hold off for a second. Search the Word. Search your heart. Get on your knees and pray. Lord, why? Why is my own building up more important than building you up? Satan loves that when we do that. When we work for ourselves instead of him. Don't give him a foothold, like Scripture says. So with that, folks, stay in your word. That's Stay praying. Recognize. That's a big part of it. Recognize when you're doing things for the wrong reason. And then correct them. Seeking God's correction. What would He have you do? What would He have you say? Should you even stop that ministry? Oh. There's a, not a very Christian thought. But sometimes He'll do that. Lord, I just... Uh, I lift you up. This this passage, while it's one we've heard countless times, really has inspired a lot of thought and questioning my own motives. I thank you for this. I thank you for the conviction. Lord, I pray that this passage has convicted folks here today and that they would look at this, read through it, and consider for themselves, does this passage pertain to me? And if it does, Lord... Show me how to get around it. Show me how to change it. Show me how to not be prideful. Because I know it's one of the things you hate. It's actually at the top of the list. Haughty eyes and a haughty spirit. Lord, we thank you for today. We give this time, the rest of this day to you. 
And we pray this in Christ's mighty, matchless name. Amen.